This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm superstar Frank Moreno. I have often wondered in this day and age where uh, it looks like social media and conventional media will find a way to take everybody down if they do the slightest small thing inappropriate or not politically correct or if they find something in their history that is not necessarily to the standards of 21st century America. And I, I just despise what they call cancel culture. I, and especially, you know, there are so many different versions of cancel culture. And then the question becomes, what's cancel culture and what's not wanting to see someone or hear someone because of what they're saying and doing? Okay. And I think it's an interesting discussion. I don't think anybody should be canceled, right? Uh, my view is... If you like a a TV show, keep watching it. It's not up to you as the viewer to make judgments about all of the actors on that show or all the writers. You know, the best example in recent years of someone being canceled without their show being canceled was Roseanne. Roseanne Barr uh, made some very inappropriate comments about Valerie Jarrett and uh, just uh, a bunch of other things. And ABC fired her. But they kept her show. They rebranded it. They renamed it from Roseanne to the Connors. Still a successful show. Not nearly as successful as it was when she was on it. But she was canceled. And we see people canceled. Uh, Dilbert. Dilbert. The cartoon Dilbert was canceled from almost every newspaper in America because Scott Adams said some uh, very inappropriate things. And, you know, the list goes on and on. A lot of people say things about uh, the Middle East situation in Israel now that get them canceled. So, I've been wondering who is uncancelable in this day and age because different people have gotten that title before. It's been said, and it seems like a lot of new media guys are uncancelable. Meaning they're following, it doesn't matter what they say, it doesn't matter what they do, they still keep having a following, they still keep being able to do their thing, and they still keep being able to make money. Um, They say, from the research that I've done, that a guy like Dave Portnoy from Barstool Sports is uncancelable. Doesn't matter what he says, what he says about women, what he might say about other people, he is uncancelable. He's still going to be a billionaire, he's still presiding over this Barstool Sports empire. They say the same thing about Jake and Logan Paul, who, again, say a lot of untoward things about women and do a lot of weird things online. One of them even had a dead body in one of his YouTube videos that he discovered in, uh, in Japan. He is, or they both are uncancelable. In fact, they seem bigger than ever. I don't know a lot of the YouTube stars, I have to say. Um, so 
ultimately, this week, we were able to add another person to the list of the uncancelables. Kanye West, who has been on a steady stream of saying bizarre, unhinged, and crazy things over the last few years, and in some cases just blatantly hateful and anti-Semitic things over the years, uh, is rapidly approaching the uncancelable. Yes, Kanye West, who's now yay. They call him yay. This is the kind of thing that Kanye West generally says. Uh, Here he was asked about the anti-Semitic remarks that he's been making. Black people can't be anti-Semitic. We are Jews. There you have it. Okay, black people can't be anti-Semitic. Now you know. Uh, Congratulations, Tony. That's a a free pass for you next time you get accused of anti-Semitism. So the things that he says regularly, in every interview, in every public forum, not just about this, but about pornography, about uh, about everything, you know, you know, you name it, would be enough to get me fired anywhere. Have our advertisers run for the hills, and yet, and it looked like Kanye West was going to be canceled. Right, Adidas stopped their collaboration with him. I think it cost him hundreds of millions of dollars. They had to take a bath on a whole bunch of their products that they were in that they had already made. So it looked like he was poised to be canceled. Well, no, no, no. Yay has joined the ranks of the uncancelable. After almost three years, Yay has released his latest album. It's called Vultures One. It's in collaboration with Ty Dolla Sign as part of a planned trilogy. One might expect that given the end of many commercial relationships due to all of his anti-Semitic statements, this album might underperform. But it has reached the number one spot in at least 100 countries on the Apple and iTunes charts despite the fact that it was independently produced, because a lot of people don't want to work with him, and wasn't initially available on Spotify and the YouTube. The implication here is that Ye has gained a level of success and fandom that cannot be erased or reversed. Ye is uncancelable. He still has tens of millions of listeners and daily streams on Spotify alone. That's one platform. And that was before his most recent album. Vultures One is already proving contentious with its original album artwork accused of carrying Nazi connotations, because of course it does. On the lyrical front, Ye raps in reference to artists convicted and accused of sexual abuse, um, respectively, that I'm Ye Kelly B-word. Now I'm Puff Daddy Rich. Ha. And that's hashtag me too, Rich. Ha. And in a nod to accusations of anti-Semitism, another yay lyric goes, I'm not anti-Semitic. I just effed a Jewish B. Very nice. Very nice. So it's a family album. While these lyrics are hardly the most shocking to have come out of the rap genre, it does point to a level of confidence that Kanye West holds concerning his status in popular culture. Indeed, because the rapper is now so famous, he can withstand more shocks and cancellation attempts than most other artists. 
I mean, you take, for example, Azalea Banks. She had a promising beginning to her music career, and she quickly attracted controversy for using homophobic slurs, lambasting trans women, endorsing Donald Trump, and publishing erratic posts on social media, and that dented her mainstream reputation. And ultimately, Banks was sidelined from major shows and festivals. Well, more broadly, Kanye's success can be attributed to him being uncancelable. Uh, there's a really interesting article about this in Unheard. It's an online publication. The headline, Uncancelable Kanye West Album Reaches Number One. And I have a twofold question for you. One, who else is uncancelable? In this day and age, who else is uncancelable? I went and looked up a list. Uh, apparently, a fella named Mr. Beast, who's a YouTube star, is uncancelable. I guess you'd have to say Elon Musk is uncancelable, right? Other than that, in this day and age, is there anyone else that is totally uncancelable? Let me know. 800-848-9222. And two, how do you feel about this? If you're someone that is bothered, and I think everybody should be bothered, by the hateful and ignorant things that Kanye West says, how do you feel about the fact that he's still able to get an album to number one? Because I have to admit, I'm conflicted about it. And I'm a guy that's as against cancel culture as anybody. Because on the one hand, I think, well, the music should be judged on its own right. Just like a Woody Allen film or an O.J. Simpson film, right? The music should be judged for the art that it is. But if the art itself is all about, you know, effing Jewish bees, I mean... It's very difficult to separate the art from the artist. Um, and so that's kind of where I am. How do you feel about Kanye West being uncancelable? And two, who else is uncancelable in this day and age? 800-848-9222. So anyway, I asked, um, I asked our audio team here, led by Elias, in the absence of Matt Blaze, to find some recent Kanye West audio. And I see something labeled here. Kanye West's wacky Yeezy Super Bowl commercial. And I said, what's that? And Elias, what did you tell me this was? Well, uh, it seems to me that he was just promoting his uh, his website for whatever merchandise Yeah, for has. clothing. Right. right, right. And apparently his team spent all of the budget for the commercial on actually paying for the commercial. But now... Because they spent all the money, Kanye West films a commercial in the back of his car, and so, it's very strange. So you were telling me this aired during the Super Bowl. That so I, I didn't see it during the Super Bowl because I was here. But that's what that's what sources seem to right. be telling so, me. So Elias tells me this commercial airs during the Super Bowl, and it's super low budget because they used all the money to buy a Super Bowl spot, which makes sense. Seven million dollars for a thirty-second ad. I won't offend anybody by mentioning Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And so basically the ad is just Yee talking into his cell phone, kind of like I would on a, a Facebook video or a, a Twitter video, right? That's the whole ad. It's 30 seconds of him talking about his clothing line on his cell phone, as low budget as can be, no lighting. It looks like a hostage video, honestly. So I thought this was so strange because I watched the Super Bowl and, you know, again, I was working while I was watching it. But unless it aired in the last minute or two, uh, no, the last uh, two minutes of the fourth quarter 
or during overtime when I was listening on the radio, I didn't see it. I mean, and I was watching the commercials and I didn't see it. And this, something like this, I would have noticed. So I do a little research. And apparently it did not air in all markets. It aired just in regional markets because there's a lot of different markets. You know, you know, it airs on CBS nationally, the Super Bowl, but there's a lot of different CBS stations. So you could buy ads to air in certain cities that don't necessarily air on all the cities that carry the Super Bowl, if that makes sense. I hope that's that's clear. So the ad might have aired in Miami, and apparently at least one person saw it in Miami, and presumably it's much cheaper, but it might not have aired in New York. So I don't think it did air in New York, which is why I didn't see it. So I don't know how much it costs to buy a regional Super Bowl ad, but it's much less than what it costs if you buy in the whole network. It's like if you're buying an ad on this show. If you wanted an ad just to run on WCBM in Baltimore, that would be, during our show, that would be much cheaper than if you wanted an ad to air on all of our stations that carry our show. Makes sense? Okay. So I hadn't seen this until tonight. This is this uh, Kanye West Yeezy Super Bowl commercial. And again, as you listen to this, just picture Kanye West speaking in a darkly lit, looks like in a car, backseat of a car, darkly lit car speaking into his cell phone. Hey, y'all, this is Yay, and it's my commercial. And since we spent all the money on the commercial spot, we actually didn't spend any money on the actual commercial. But the idea is I want you to go to Yeezy.com, Y-E-E-Z-Y.com. And I'm going to write it at the bottom of the screen. And I got some shoes. And mm, that's it. Who knows if he's telling the truth? But Kanye West says that after running that commercial during the Super Bowl, um, that he made $19 million in sales. So even if it cost him $7 million, which I don't believe it did, because I don't believe it uh, aired on all the stations around the country, even if it cost him the full $7 million, he still made money because he took in $19 million in ads with the lamest-looking ad I've ever seen during the Super Bowl, certainly. So I think this is yet more uh, evidence that for whatever reason, it doesn't matter how much negative stuff Yay says about Jewish people or anyone else, the guy is uncancelable. Number one album, $19 million of sales on his clothing line after running the worst commercial I've ever seen. What makes this guy uncancelable? You got to tell me. 800-848-9222. Usually when you're uh, a a big star that um, says anti-Semitic things. Like, I'm thinking people like Kyrie Irving, um, Elon Musk. Basically, you always follow the same pattern. You give a whole bunch of money to uh, the Anti-Defamation League, and then all of a sudden they stop calling you anti-Semitic. It's amazing how that works out. Kanye West never went through that process, never said he was sorry, as you could hear here. He's absolutely recalcitrant. Black people can't be anti-Semitic. We are Jews. And yet he's still uncancelable. 
So I'm curious if you could tell me anyone else that's uncancelable. Second, what you make of uh, why Kanye is uncancelable. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Gnome Laden and uh, Brian Kilmead coming up in a moment. Uh, Tony, do you have a you have a view on this? You have any feeling on this? The, the, he knows how to market himself. I I, I think it's, it's you know he he's he's a little touched in the head that that I give him, but you know he he knows how to market himself. Well, so maybe this I think the guy is mentally ill, honestly, and maybe maybe it's an act. Maybe the joke is on all of us because he's got everybody thinking that he's mentally ill, and we're watching and talking about everything he does and buying his album and uh, he's playing the watching game his well. products. He yeah. knows how to play the game. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe I'm um, maybe I'm not giving him enough credit. I don't know. All right, uh, tell me what you think. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Let me begin with Larry in Brooklyn. Hi, Larry. Yeah, hi, Frank. Uh, first of all, uh, I think that he is playing the game, Kanye West. Uh, it's, he's, you have to distinguish him from Kyrie Irving because he, if he's saying we can't be anti-Semitic because we're Jewish, he's including us. He's mitigating his, his anti-Semitism right there. So if it comes to the point that it's really, there's a big separation when somebody is just a hater and they don't include themselves. There's a tremendous separation. So it's really not pure anti-Semitism. Okay, fair enough. But I wanted to, can I speak about, can I make, make a comment about animal rescue? Be my guest. Okay. I used to be an animal rescuer, okay, so I know a lot about this. It was mainly dogs. I had a few cats. One time when I was in my 20s, I was on the Belt Parkway, and I see this little poodle uh, running in the shoulder, right in the middle of the traffic, on the shoulder. So I jackknifed my car, one of, the, one of the brighter things I ever did in my life. I block off three lanes of traffic, and like Superman, I'm running after this little tiny toy poodle in the, you know, in the middle of the Bell Parkway. I finally get up to it. I'm about to pick it up, and it blares its teeth at me and starts growling like it wants to tear my hand off. I quietly just retreated, got back in my car, and took off. I said, the hell with the, with the dog. I don't care what happens to this dog. Now, I mean, I think that, that what that story underscores is you have no idea what's going on. When you rescue a, a cat, take it off the street, you have no idea. You think you know. You're projecting everything you want onto this animal from your own knowledge, like this poodle. I thought a little poodle wants to be rescued, right? You, anybody would think that, right? But it, it's, just, it's just an example. You have no idea with, about this cat. Of course, the veterinarian is right. Just you know, you know, if you, you know, if you don't give this cat its freedom, you're committing a crime. You're you're imprisoning an animal that otherwise would want to be free. Got it. Well, hey, Larry, you may be right. You make a very a good point there. There, I guess there is an element of projection there. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two eight hundred eight four eight 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 one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Paulie is in Westwood. What's on your mind, Paulie? Paulie. Oh, boy. Did Polly fall asleep? Oh, boy. At least I hope he kept the radio on. We need the ratings. All right. 800-848-9222 if you want, uh, want Polly's spot on the air. You can also email me, frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. That's frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. In just a minute, we're going to hear from two men 
With their finger on the pulse of the American news consumer, Noam Layden and Brian Kilmeade. You could follow me on Twitter at Frank Morano. Yes, I still call it Twitter. It's Frank M O R A N O. And uh, we're on Facebook as well at facebook.com slash Morano fan. I'm overdue for one of these Facebook videos. So I'm hoping to uh, put together one uh, this weekend. We'll see. We'll see where that goes. All right. Uh, Noam Layden and Brian killed me. Join me straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. We at war. We at war with terrorism, racism. Most of all, we are all ourselves. God, show me the way because the devil's trying to break me down. This is the uncancelable Kanye West, currently with the number one album, a Super Bowl ad, and $19 million worth of sales at Yeezy. No amount of uh, crazy ramblings will slow him down. Maybe that's what's helping him. Maybe that's what I'm doing wrong. You know, uh, again, we've got some great uh, merchandise at the other side of Midnight online store. I just, somebody bought me the mug the brand new mug that they have, uh, you know, for us, for the other side of midnight. It's terrific. If you want to check it out, you can go to store.othersideofmidnightshow.com. I'm bringing it home tonight or this morning, and my wife is just going to be thrilled that we have another mug. She secretly throws out my mugs because we have too many. So I'm going to have to hide this mug because I don't want her to throw out one of the existing mugs because all the mugs that we have are now mugs that I really like. I wish it was a little larger because I like a large mug that could fit a good 12 ounces of a hot liquid in there. But other than that, it's a great design. Check it out. Um, store.othersideofmidnightshow.com. And whatever you buy on there, by the way, even if it's, for, if it's for other shows, if you use the promo code FRANK15, you save 15% off. It's time for... Stand by for the other side of Midnight's News. From New York City, the other side of and its affiliated stations present national and international news with Frank Morano and news director Noam Layden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story. Hello, Noam. Good morning, Frank. Sometimes you, as a journalist, you have to really search hard for a good news story. Yes. But then there's those moments in your career where the story's right in front of you. And it's like, wow, this is just too easy. Thank God for that. And that's what happened here at WABC, which is the home station, of course, right. for your program. 
There was a note inside the refrigerator oh, here boy. in the kitchen. Oh, boy. That was one of the more threatening notes that I've ever seen mm. at the radio station. It was somebody who was incredibly angry that their lunch had been eaten, and they wanted and they were demanding to know who that person was. Mm-hmm. Now, I hear, I didn't hear it last night. I must have been driving in. I just didn't catch it. You admitted, you were the person who admitted to eating that lunch. Well, I don't know what the lunch is that you're describing. So it was Chinese food. That's what I found out. Okay, well, I, well, I, well here's what I will say. Mm-hmm. Recently, there were two unmarked egg ro- uh, spring rolls unmarked right unmarked spring rolls right. no one's name on yeah. it in violation of the refrigerator policy which requires a name and a date right and i did consume those two unmarked spring rolls so you're in charge of making sure that people follow the policy at the radio yes. station oh, i didn't know yes that. well no we're all in charge oh, we I should th- all be doing this i we am should be policing everybody else well, we should not we should have zero tolerance for unmarked food because otherwise, if we show tolerance for unmarked food, then the policy is meaningless. And then you know what happens? The refrigerator is filled with clutter, which stays there for days and right. weeks and begins to stink. So you know what I say to you, Gnome, and to, yes. to that note lever? Right. You're welcome. <laughs> you seem very defensive about oh, this. Well, because I have been portrayed and threatened by that note lever as as some sort of a, a you know a, a scoff law, when in actuality I am upholding the standards of what makes that refrigerator uh, go. You might be on the wrong side of this argument. The conversation around the station has not been very friendly towards you when people found out that you had made this admission, that you had eaten that lunch. And then the question started to come, and they wanted me to ask you about this. Have you eaten other lunches in the refrigerator that are unmarked? Never. And be careful how you answer this question. Never anything. There are, there are cameras in the kitchen. Never anything that has been labeled. Right. So anything nothing, that's unlabeled is fine. You can yes, eat. So if yes. I put my lunch, by the way, I bring my lunch in every single day. Right. If it's, I forget to put my name on the paper bag when I put it into the refrigerator, can I be worried that when I, if I don't eat the lunch that day, that you will eat it if in, you overnight? D- if you don't adhere to the policy, right. I will remove it from the refrigerator. Yes. Right. Remove it and eat it. Or throw it away. Like oh. there was some macaroni salad that went bad before. I threw it away. Did you? How did you know it went bad? I had to try it to make sure <laughs> I knew it went bad. So and, did you, now what if I told you that you had... Eating the lunch of someone who's on your overnight staff, who works incredibly hard, who toils, <laughs> well, pouring sound. I know you're talking about the wrong show because <laughs> nobody on our staff fits that description. This is somebody who works very hard on the show, a new member of the program, yeah. says that uh, you ate his sandwich. He brought in a sandwich to eat during the overnight hours and, you know. It's not incredibly hard to get food in the middle of the night because we are in New York City and get it delivered. But, you know, it costs money. Mm -hmm. So he's trying to save money. He brought in his um, own lunch, breakfast, whatever you're calling it in the overnight. And he said it went missing. And he found out that you had eaten his sandwich. Definitely not if it was labeled. (laughs) So, you know, I wanted to see how often this happens because there's a lot of people who are really angry. I want you just want you to know this. So it's a good thing you're in the overnight because during the day. You'd probably be hearing from some people who are very upset that their lunches went missing. Well, and they'd be hearing from me about my displeasure at them leaving unlabeled food in the refrigerator. I uh, made a call yesterday when I heard that you were up to this. And I, there was a professor at the University of South Carolina, Professor Edwin, who had done a study about people who steal lunches from coworkers. Mm-hmm. 
And um, I was unable to get to him, but I left him a message. And then when I was sleeping, because I go to bed early, he left a very long message on my voicemail last night with this study that said, um, I I didn't want to play it because he hadn't given me the permission to, but he said that um, 18% of office workers admit that they've taken and eaten someone else's lunch from the fridge. That pretty much means, he says, one in five office workers have done this. So you are far from being alone in terms of eating other people's lunches, knowingly eating other people's lunches. Now, let me take it a step further. He pointed to me, pointed me to some recent articles. So this is why you might want to think twice. Right. About you would just bring up the, the, the exterminator that got fired in, in England. Uh, well, I don't know about no? that okay, story, but ahead. there's some that are really recent. So he pointed to me to an article in Fairfax, Virginia, just two weeks ago, 25-year-old Basin Berth. Uh, was sentenced to life in prison. He had been uh, brought lunch to Target, to the Target store, and someone had eaten his lunch where they worked at Target. And so the next day, he brought in a hammer and two knives and then uh, disassembled this person for eating his lunch. So now he's going to spend his the rest of his life behind bars because he was angry that somebody had eaten his lunch. One, I'd want to know the refrigerator party, uh, the refrigerator policy at that particular target. And if it's clearly labeled on the refrigerator that it must be have your name on it or it will be discarded. And then, um, it, it, first of all, I don't think that's an acceptable reaction regardless. He pointed me to another story because he's collected these over. The, this is just over the last three months, by mm-hmm. the way. So they're right. not old stories. He pointed me to another story of a woman who brings one of those big bottles of creamer. She likes the sweetened creamer, like vanilla, French vanilla. Mm-hmm. I don't know which brand she was using. And um, people were slowly pouring it into their coffee, even though her name was on it. Oh, well, that's ridiculous. That's absurd. That's theft. Yeah. So then she decided she was going to put something into the creamer. Good. And she did. Good. Show them. Show That'll teach them a lesson. Good. He also pointed me to, the, he gave me some great resources. He also pointed me to the story of someone who had not put their name on a sandwich in a refrigerator at a office in Wisconsin. And the guy said that uh, almost every day he would open up a sandwich. He had liked to have uh, two uh, slices of cheese and lunch meat, and he put it in a Tupperware. And when he'd open it, he would notice that somebody had taken the piece of sandwich apart and taken one piece of cheese off and left the rest of the sandwich there. Now, is that okay? Because it was unmarked in the Tupperware. Rest of the sandwich was there. He said, I'm not going to eat it. The sandwich itself should have been discarded after that. Uh, Another one is something that happened in his own uh, university, University of South Carolina. He says a faculty member got himself a sub, put it in the fridge overnight. Then uh, before class, he went to eat a sandwich only to find that someone had opened it, taken out all the meat, and then wrapped the bread and veggies back up to uh, up in the sandwich again. And that's left it that's there. absurd. The sandwich should have been discarded. The whole point mm-hmm. of the policy is to keep things from staying in there and festering and growing and cluttering up the refrigerator. And it's like you know I bring in stuff all the time. In all seriousness, you know, egg salad, pizza, d- desserts, and the idea. So that is, makes up for the no, no, people's no. food that you've no, eaten. The idea the, is you don't label it, right? Be, and you encourage folks to take it. And honestly, you know, we are very lucky like a lot of other radio stations we've worked at, where there's always a lot of, you know, complimentary food right. to be shared. And so I think the only way to uh, to differentiate between the food that's okay to take versus the one that's not is the policy that we have, which is you have to put a label on it. Let, let's, it. Just, let's just make this Black clear. Black and white. Let me just make this clear so I can understand this when I go back to some of your coworkers yes. who are upset with you. You will continue to do this. 
And you don't apologize to the person whose Chinese food that you ate. No, because they have those not people labeled should it. apologize to us for not adhering to the policy. Okay, so even though the fact that most of the meal had been eaten in that Chinese basket or food or whatever it was, container, uh, you finished it off, and that's okay. Even though it was clear it was somebody else's. Right, they should have thrown a, a post-it note up there. Okay. Said gnome or whomever. Okay, so... People need to put their names uh, and maybe put a lock on their lunch no, as well. No, no, that's ridiculous. You. That's ridiculous. You go in there, you'll see. There's okay. name and name and name. Okay. And all the every labeled item in there that has a name on it is totally unmolested okay. because those people stick with the policy. All right. I can't re- wait to report this information back to the professor at the University of Thank South you. Carolina yes. so you can conclude it. And send a photo of what's on the refrigerator to that professor as well, please. Thank you. No. And now you know the rest of the story. Someone who would never leave unlabeled food in the refrigerator, nor an unlabeled book, uh, as he is the author of many, many bestsellers, is uh, Brian Kilmeade, not only a New York Times bestselling author, but the co-host of Fox and Friends and a nationally syndicated radio talk show host. Good morning, Brian. Well, what's happening, Frank? Uh, quite a bit, quite a bit. Um, uh, you know, on a very serious note, I always like to be kind of, of lighthearted with you, but we're watching this, uh, you know, very sad situation in Kansas City in the aftermath of the Chiefs' victory parade. What are you hearing about the latest on this, Brian? Are you hearing anything with respect to motive or a reason for this mass shooting? Nothing. Uh, nothing yet. I don't think it's going to be hard to figure out. They got the guy. Uh, but how great is it uh, for... People who are watching the parade one minute, next minute they turn around, they tackle him. Two guys tackle him. With a, the guy had a gun, they they're able to knock the gun loose, knock him to the ground. The cops catch up to him. It looks like there's only one gunman. Originally, we heard there were two, uh, but basically, the way I understand it, in in um, in Kansas City, you you can carry. So there's just certain things like schools and uh, and uh, churches you can't carry a gun, but you can carry. So unlike in New York City. If you have a gun and you have no permit, that would be a story. Times Square, for example, uh, at that parade, just like in most uh, cities in Florida, you know, most people have, uh, you can have a gun, we'll never know it. So a lot of people are armed there, so we'll see what happens. I just don't understand what the president's condemning gun. we got to get better gun laws in this country. Excuse me. Can we find out some details right. well, about exactly. what's going on? Exactly. I mean, come on. And plus, you did pass gun legislation, you knucklehead. You do. You have something actually to brag about. Republicans took tremendous risk, uh, especially Senator Cornyn, and about 14 went along with you, and immediately— well, every time there's a gun shooting, oh, we got to get you know, we got to get rid of this. We got to get rid of. Excuse me, uh, every there, there's responsible people out there who uh, don't want to be looped in with these assassins. So please don't do that. And can he possibly wait? He waits on everything else. We have no idea what we're doing in Ukraine. We have no idea what our policy is in Gaza. But if he hears about a parade shooting, he can weigh in on that right away. And, uh, you know, depending on the level of waiting, we don't even know what the American reaction will be if China invades Taiwan. Uh, because if, if, right. he gives one an- if he gives an answer versus what his staff says, uh, his, uh, they have very different answers on that one. Uh, uh, tell me your thoughts on the Super Bowl in general. Uh, it's a shame it was such a boring game, huh? Real blowout. <laughs> well, a couple of things. I, I don't know why people look at the first half and go, as boring. I go, what are you talking about? Do you like de- defense? It's I thought it was defense great. And yeah. offense. Yeah. I go, if, if you have a defense making adjustments against these elite offenses, that's called a good game. You don't need 30-30 at halftime to go, what an entertaining game. I turn around and go, wait a second. 
Where's the defense? Did anyone prepare and scheme? These are two of the best. I think that one of the stories, uh, and I know this is it sounds routine, but I've actually been at so many Super Bowls in person. You talk to all these people leading up to it, you to nauseam. I don't think the, these two coaching staffs are so bright and so smart, and they're known to make adjustments. And we're watching them adjust to each other. And I just thought that that's one of the great things about the Super Bowl. The coaches stepped up. The players stepped up. The defense has stepped up. The offense has adjusted again. And then in overtime, we see it at it. And also, I thought, and I know this is a minor point, but I can't take it for granted anymore. To see Brock Purdy and coaches lose with grace is a lost art. And just credit the other guys. And, you know, I have no regrets, but Brock Purdy, I got to do better next time. I just think that that's a great lesson. And one of the worst things, and you you might think oh, it's a little hokey, but when I saw Travis Kelsey oh, that's yelling his, at That's the next thing I was going to ask you about. I, I just hated it. I, I just hated it. And I'm thinking about these 14-year-olds, these 17-year-old juniors with this, who are aspiring to go to college, and maybe they know there's a scout in the stands and they're not in in a key play. Wait a second, Travis Kelsey actually got more famous after screaming at mm-hmm. his coach. He said, and the coach said, it is no problem, and you could spin it any way you want. I have a huge problem with that. Me too. Uh, me too. Was there ever a sufficient explanation given by Kelsey as to why he did that? Not only screaming at him very visibly in front of the largest TV audience in history, even larger than the moon landing, but kind of seeming to grab his arm and almost shove him. Did he give any sort of public explanation for that? I think he apologized. First, he said that, you know, we go back and forth like that. Oh, I didn't know you heard that. He was wearing a mic, and we might eventually hear what, what if the NFL decides to do that, we might hear what happened. I, I, we know roughly what happened. He's demanding being in, and one of the tight ends that was in for him because he's not the best blocking tight end. Uh, uh, you know, there was a fumble because the guy missed a block. Uh, I'm pretty sure you shouldn't be screaming at the coach for that, uh, who might be the best offensive mind in, sport, in, in the NFL. So, excuse me, he needs you off for a play. And later in the fourth quarter, when things were on the line, they put in their best tight end maybe in football, and he makes the two or three key plays. So I just don't like it. It's not a big deal to dwell on. But I, I do like the fact that in a time in which everyone's streaming and watching on their phones or not know, knowing even how to put on their TVs, we got to write, we, everyone came around and watched one thing. And, and that's an American thing, pro-American, nobody's kneeling. Uh, you know, we, we did have an overflight, even though the, the roof was closed. So I just thought it was it was good all around. I thought it looked good for Las mm. Vegas as well. But next year with Fox, uh, I'll be there and be in New Orleans. New Orleans also knows how to hold a big event. Well, that's great. Maybe I'll make the trip out there uh, as well. That'll be fun to, it, uh, uh, to hang out with you uh, out there Bring in New Orleans. Bring a growing network of fans. I yeah, think, yeah. I think your listeners need to be brought to the Super Bowl. I, I, I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, hey, speaking of losing gracefully, let me ask you about someone that's not necessarily known for losing gracefully. That's the 45th president of the United States. He was on uh, he was on Truth Social yesterday blasting, blasting uh, Maisie Pillip, uh, the Republican that lost to Tom Swazi in the uh, in the special election, calling her a foolish woman. He also took a couple of shots at uh, Nikki Haley's husband recently. So Nikki Haley was on TV, I think, uh, the, the Today Show called calling President Trump deranged. He is not the same person he was in 2016. He is unhinged. He is more diminished than he than he was. 
And I'm curious what you make of this new line of attack from Nikki Haley. This is not what we've heard from her during most of the campaign. She's starting to sound more and more like Chris Christie and less and less like uh, Vivek Ramaswamy in terms of how they're going after Trump on a head-to-head basis. Is this strategic? Is this emotional? Right. What do you make of this? This is why you're a great host. I was thinking the same thing uh, over the last week, and I have not said it on the air, and mm-hmm. you've helped me today. Uh, I'm saying if Nikki Haley wanted this line of attack, I respect that. You know I think she's a really great candidate. But I don't understand this. I don't understand it. Because if you you didn't like Donald Trump four years ago, you don't like him now. And and if you loved him four years ago, you like him now. There's no difference. In fact, there's less. He's doing less appearances. And what Marco Rubio nailed it on Sunday, as did Michael Waltz, he said, listen, do we know Donald Trump? He talks in extremes. But what he's saying is 11 of the third, now 32 NATO nations have hit the 2% GDP. So he talks in extremes. He wants leverage. So that's what the word the Rubio used, leverage. But when Nikki Haley comes out and is using Republican, Democratic arguments of just, hey, he can't be president, he's unhinged, he's too old, and he needs a mental test. Okay, that's fine if you're Joe Biden and if you're any Democrat in the House, if you're Adam Schiff. But if you're going to go that line of attack, why did you wait? You've lost Iowa. You've lost New Hampshire. You're down 30 in South Carolina. So you decided, I'm going to burn the village down, even though I've lost the war. And this is, it's crazy. And it doesn't make any sense. She acts like she's unhinged. Now, I do, again, I like her. If there was no Donald Trump, I think her and DeSantis would be in a death match. They were getting very personal too, by sure, the way. Sure. That's why I didn't even want to see another debate. All they were doing is insulting each other personally. But she should be ratcheting up in it. Let me just tell you about NATO. I like that the president got four more countries to hit the 2% margin. I noticed there's three countries like France at 1.9, one's 1.87. We need them the rest of the way. But the way I would do it is not threaten. The way I would do it is say, guys, we're within, we're within a few a uh, million dollars of hitting our threshold and sending a great message to to the Russians. I would urge people on. I would tell them where to increase. I would tell them the weapons to buy from us. And then I'd go, yeah, you know, wait a second. One has got more of an optimistic, one's threatening. Maybe I want the younger, uh, more optimistic mm-hmm. look. But just telling a bunch of Trump supporters that their candidate is unhinged is not going to win you South Carolina. There was a uh, USA Today column a day or two ago calling on uh, no labels to nominate Nikki Haley and Dean Phillips as their ticket. Uh, Chris Christie, who we uh, just mentioned a minute ago, he has now said, you know, he's not necessarily closing the door on uh, a no labels candidacy. What are you hearing about who may end up being the no labels candidate in November, if anyone? And do you think Haley or Christie might be in the mix? I, I'd be shocked at Haley. I think she has a Republican fu- I think she wants a future in the party. I know, I know it doesn't sound like she does. I'd be shocked at Haley. But I, would, uh, I think it's Joe Manchin and one other person. And I think one of the big stories, under, uh, underreported stories, is what the Democratic Party's doing to keep no labels, RFK, uh, and Cornell West off the ballot. They are going to the ends of the earth to make sure that they don't qualify. And these states are having some of these states are having these uh, having uh, criteria that's almost impossible to reach. Now, one thing one of them can do is hop on the libertarian ticket and they'll be on all 50 states because evidently they've already qualified. And RFK has not shut the door on that, although he's not a libertarian. I'm sure they might shut the door on that. Mm -hmm. But it's Joe Manchin and somebody else. And I think Manchin's going to announce right after Super Tuesday after Trump wins. 
So, and I think that he wanted, he wants Mitt Romney. I don't think that's a good move. Mitt Romney thinks he's too old. And by the way, Joe Manchin's 74, even though he looks great. So, uh, Chris Christie would be interesting. I mean, it would certainly, it would change the debate a little. I don't think that Chris Christie has got the report with Democrats, doesn't have their support of Democrats or Republicans. And it doesn't mean I don't think he's extremely intelligent, bright, and would have a major role in any administration except for Trump because they hate each other now. But I don't think that wins it. I think they need somebody with some universal popularity. Larry Hogan's going to run for Senate in Maryland, which is good news for the Republicans. Oh, great Not news. good news. Trump doesn't like him. Yeah, that's great. So... Uh, I do expect no labels to be in uh, in the mix. They've they've said over and over again, if it is Trump Biden, they're in, and that is going to be great news for Trump. Let me ask you about this, Brian. Uh, we're talking with Brian Kilmeade, and catch him on Fox and Friends every morning. Catch him on One Nation every Saturday night, and uh, you can see him in person if you live in Nevada. He's coming to Henderson in April. Uh, go to BrianKilmeade.com for more information on that for everybody listening on K-Dawn. The special election that I alluded to in your backyard on Long Island, the race for Santos's seat. Uh, George Santos, who was on this program on Monday, he kind of um, rubbed a little bit of salt into the wound of the New York GOP. He um, gr- sent a group text to several of his former colleagues and a whole bunch of his fellow Republicans calling them all effing idiots and blaming them for, and the ousting of him, for the defeat and the loss of a Republican seat and wish them luck in the next fundraising quarter. Obviously, tongue firmly planted in cheek. Two-part question. One, through the prism of hindsight, knowing that the Republicans lost this seat, was it a mistake for them to remove Santos? Question two is, is that election a harbinger of things to come for the GOP in suburban districts in November? Great question. It's great for our shows, you know, especially the New York Minute. And I go, you know, I a couple of things. George Santos mocking Republicans when he lied, seems to have committed campaign fraud. The only thing missing is the conviction uh, and his trial date. So Republicans weren't necessarily being street smart and ousting him. But this guy is not wrongly accused. Do you look at how he lied to Long Islanders? And uh, some portions of Queens, the guy flat out lied about his background. He lied about everything. He misused funds. Uh, He continued. The only thing he did right was continue to vote, uh, support Donald Trump and continue to vote for Republican causes. And that's fine. I've talked to Kevin McCarthy. He says there's no way I would have ousted him. And if you look at Democrats, I think the bigger story is why is Menendez still there? I mean, they have no ethics at all. They don't even begin to care. And this guy is giving up. He's been accused of something extremely serious. This guy's over in Egypt changing our policy recommendations seemingly so he can get richer and his wife can get bigger diamond rings. And what he's doing with all these uh, unauthorized, you know, the gold bars on down, (laughs) as Senator Fetterman has said, why is he still there? So where are the ethics on the Democrats? But it's hard to criticize Republicans for doing the right thing. And the guy that just and, and I understand you can't start kicking people out on accusations and indictments or else Trump would not be running. But when you know, when you read what Santos has done and lied about to think that he is casting himself as a hero to maybe uh, bump up his cameo uh, uh, sales is a joke. And it's hard to criticize 
someone for doing the right thing and having standards. I watched that press conference. I saw Bruce Blakeman and company go, that's not the guy I supported. My endorsement. A lot of people voted for him because I said so. You know, he is a very popular Nassau County executive. And now I feel duped. And I just want to say, I am sorry. This guy deserves to be out. So it's hard. It's hard to ever jump on George mm-hmm. Santos' seat. It's not the most street smart thing they've ever done. Uh, Brian, we're going to have to end it there. I very much appreciate the time, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Right, and don't forget to listen to uh, the Brian Kilmeade Show, uh, 10 to noon, and uh, stay within yourself, Frank. Uh, Brian Kilmeade, a a terrific radio talk show host, one of the best in the country, and uh, with uh, always someone with a great lineup of guests, uh, including you know, a great interview with uh, Ian Bremmer yesterday, which I uh, really enjoyed listening to. Uh, check it out on a lot of our great stations. All right, 15 seconds of fame, where you get to comment on whatever you want for 15 seconds, 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. The other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Mike! Morning, Frank. When I was a child, my generation was raised on some of the most violent cartoons Bugs Bunny, The Roadrunner, Tom and Jerry, Foghorn, Leghorn, Popeye. And yet, society was much more civil and less violent toward one another. I wonder why that is. Thomas. Shake your jerk off, jerk. E. Frank. Yeah, we could avoid all these problems if law enforcement and the police weren't handcuffed with so many obstructional laws that favor the criminals. Neil. Good morning, Frank. With the support of your administration, one simple sign on the refrigerator solves all your problems. This refrigerator will be emptied every Monday morning. That the sign is on there. The sign is on there. Lisa. Did you know that Susan B. Anthony, a pioneer crusader for women's suffrage movement in the United States, was born in Adams, Massachusetts today? Ray. Time's lit on things for today. Let's watch our language in the future. Frank Morano, good day.